Welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast, Episode 21. I'm your host, Daniel Shapiro, Vice President of Brand Relations at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing brand protection solution with a mission to make the internet safer for both brands and consumers. In this podcast, we will share stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in brand protection and anti-counterfeiting from many different industries. We are very happy you could join us today, and please check out all of our episodes on www.redpoints.com forward slash podcast. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Michael Keenan, Global Brand Protection Director at Beijing. As a young person, Michael wanted to be a teacher because he liked helping people. The idea morphed into a career of public service where he could serve even more people in his community. Fast forward to his long, successful career in brand protection, Michael says the profession actually chose him. Early in his career, he landed an entry-level job at a well-known pharmaceutical company in the security department. Brand protection wasn't his initial job at all, but eventually it became one of his responsibilities. For the past year, Michael has been the Global Brand Protection Director for Beijing, a global science-driven biotechnology company. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you. We're thrilled to have you sit in and answer some questions and get to learn more about you. Great to join you, uh, Daniel, and appreciate the opportunity. So, Michael, to, to give us a, a kickoff a little bit uh, and uh, get people to understand who you are, if you had the opportunity to have dinner with one famous person, either present or past, who would you sit down and want to have that dinner with? Uh, I think it would be Charles Dickens. It's my favorite author. Um, I did my college thesis uh, paper on Charles Dickens, and I'm a Christmassy type of guy, so I like A Christmas Carol. It's my favorite book. So, but Charles Dickens really put a lot of effort into demonstrating what his world was like um, while he told stories. Um, and those always make for the best stories when someone sets place and time. Um, so I guess it would be Charles Dickens. That's an awesome. Hey, listen, to have a dinner with a great storyteller would be fascinating for sure. And when you think about uh, some of the experiences you've had in your career, you know, with the different uh, various career opportunities you've had, is there a particular <coughs> funny story that you have uh, sort of tell when, when you're telling a story at dinner about you never believe when this happened? I don't know if it has anything to do with my career, but I got to sing with Billy Joel, who's my all-time favorite musician. Uh, I sort of got to sing with Billy Joel. I went uh, as a Christmas present. My daughter got presents to a Billy Joel concert at Madison Square Garden, and uh, the seats were way up in the rafters. Uh, and we went and then right before the concert was supposed to start, my daughter came back from getting a drink at the concession stands with four front row tickets that she got from some guy in a red jacket, which made us all go crazy. So um, it was an awesome concert. My favorite musician, front row seats. You, you can't even buy them. You know, uh, they're so cool. And at the end of the night, Billy Joel shared his microphone with me to sing the last words of it's still rock and roll to me. I nailed it. Um, so I got to sing with my favorite musician. That's a great story. And who, who was the guy in the red jacket? Do we know? It was some security guy or something that was just giving away front row seats. I later learned that Billy Joel doesn't sell front row seats. He just gives them away 
to the people that are in the back because he wants those people to enjoy the show that, that don't get good seats. So I was the benefit of his uh, beneficiary of his generosity. Wonderful. And um, when you think about your career, uh, not your singing career, but your uh, <laughs> professional career, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, did you, where were you angling toward? Um, I always wanted to do something in public service or to serve people. Originally, I thought about being a teacher um, and actually went to school with an idea to get teaching credits and things like that. Um, you know, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, something to do with helping people, uh, you know, some sort of service industry. And so then how did you uh, sort of pivot, you know, from here's what you wanted to do and here's how, what you did? Yeah, I mean, I didn't choose to be a global brand protection director. I don't know if anybody grows up to want to be that. It sort of chose me. Uh, I always wanted to help people, uh, to keep people safe. I was originally, uh, my first job was as a court officer in New York City. And while I was there, I was informed of a job at a pharmaceutical company at Pfizer in their security department. So, uh, but no, I, I didn't decide to be in this profession. It's sort of like something just happened, but I'm glad it did. They picked you, huh? And when you sort of went to uh, Pfizer as security, like what kind of role was that? It was a global security role that uh, initially uh, they hired me to run their background screening program. And then Pfizer purchased two large companies in the span of like 18 months and became this huge corporation. And um, I was asked to do everything else, including issues relating to counterfeiting and diversion and theft. So I really learned that on the job. Uh, my initial job had nothing to do with brand protection, but I, I soon became... Morphed um, into... Yeah, it morphed. Very interesting. And so now you're at Beijing. And for those who may not know exactly what Beijing does, maybe you can explain to us what your company does and where you're located. Yeah, I mean, uh, Beijing is a unique company. It's a global company, biotechnology company. Uh, it's focused on developing innovative medicines, but also affordable medicines uh, all over the world to treat outcomes relating to uh, cancer. Uh, the company has uh, a big pipeline, broad portfolio of uh, 40 or more clinical candidates. Um, they're committed to improving access to medicines, specifically cancer medicines around the world. Uh, we have about 7,000 colleagues now uh, that's grown 2,000 colleagues since I've been here only for a year. Um, so, uh, yeah, the company is a, a, a biotechnology company focused on treatment outcomes for cancer. And uh, locations in multiple countries, locations where, where primarily are, are you guys located? Our work, our medicines, our clinical work are present throughout the world. Uh, we have employees on, on five continents. We have 30 offices. We have offices in the United States, offices in Switzerland, offices in China, uh, manufacturing sites in China. Um, uh, we run clinical trials in 40 different countries. Uh, so uh, we are quickly becoming a global company. Our origin and roots are in China, uh, which is one of the reasons why we're called Beijing. But yeah. uh, we, we are our, our goal, our mission is to be a, a global biotechnology and research company. And you're uh, based where 
Michael. I am based in the Ridgefield Park office uh, in New Jersey. Um, I'm part of the global security department, which uh, uh, my my uh, supervisor is in California. We also have employees in uh, in China uh, as well. And if you had to describe Beijing in one sentence, what would be the one sentence that encapsulates the company? Science-driven, innovative, uh, developing affordable cancer medicines. I think those awesome. are probably the uh, the catchphrases that I would use. Well, you know, I, I was just thinking about what you wanted to be and, and what you're currently doing, but uh, working for a company that's helping people and you helping protect it seems like you're still doing what you wanted to do. So uh, cheers to you, uh, Michael, for having it all sort of come back together. That's awesome. Thank um, you. When you think of your role as uh, the director of global brand protection, what are some of the more challenging or difficult tasks that you face on a daily or, you know, just work uh, function? You know, we define brand protection in the pharmaceutical industry, certainly at Beijing, we define it as protecting patients from uh, the dangers of counterfeit medicines, uh, and other otherwise unauthorized distribution of medicines. The, the biggest challenge sometimes for us is when people ask us what the scale of this type of activity is. You'll see estimates um, from various uh, global organizations about how big it is. Um, my frank answer to that is I don't know because I think a chunk of the activity, counterfeit activity and other illegal activities go undetected or uh, uh, unenforced. So it's, it's a challenge. The, the, what we can do though, and what we try to do is to tell a story uh, about how patients can be affected when we do find counterfeit medicines or otherwise inappropriate medicines, frauds and what have you. We have cross-functional teams at uh, Beijing that are committed to stopping or trying to stop this type of activity. Protecting our brand and protecting our bottom line is important, but it's it's not why we're doing this. We're doing this to protect people, uh, you know, to protect patients, uh, especially those that frankly have enough to deal with, uh, especially, you know, with cancer. Uh, we're trying to get them to, you know, take authentic products uh, and medicines um, so that they can fight the disease as best as they can. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I, and I think to your point, right, when people are already you know, dealing with, you know, facing on head on cancer to think that there's, you know, something out there that's not real is sort of like insult to injury and, you know, one of the worst things out there. So, uh, but maybe to follow that thought, Michael, could you sum up what the mission of the brand protection department is at uh, Beijing? I would say, I, I just reiterate, uh, it is the, to protect the company against risks associated with counterfeiting diversion and theft. Um, it's really protecting patients against those three things. Uh, we try to keep it simple. Uh, uh, there's a lot that goes into doing that, <laughs> obviously, uh, but yeah. um, that's our mission. And how, how can, uh, I suppose, doctors, consumers make sure they're purchasing, you know, original, authentic products? One of the ways they can do that is to avoid buying prescription pharmaceuticals from the internet or from social media. Unless, you know, the 
internet or social media selling outlet is endorsed by Beijing or the manufacturer or and by health authorities. Otherwise, you know, 97% of the stuff that you see on the internet and social media, I wouldn't buy uh, because you're taking a risk that it's not authentic and it hasn't been stored in the right areas uh, and or has been obtained through illegal means. Um, so avoid the internet, avoid social media in buying yeah. prescription products. Yeah, totally. And, and most of those platforms do have policies against it, right? The question is sometimes people sneak in and try to get it in there, I think, uh, in most cases. Um, what's, what's the most common uh, myth you think about the profession of brand protection uh, professionals like yourself that people, when they hear about guys like you, they think, well, you must be X. Well, I would say a myth uh, that I have, I think is a growing myth, is that this is in some way an exaggerated issue, that the counterfeit issue of medicines doesn't exist, and that it is somehow uh, a story made up by somebody. And it's not true. It's a global health concern. The Pharmaceutical Security Institute, uh, which Beijing belongs to and has 40 uh, active members, um, has a, a huge amount of data demonstrating confirmed incidents of pharmaceutical counterfeiting, diversion, and theft just in 2020 alone. Um, cancer medicines, which Beijing is developing, are in the top five therapeutic categories with regard to incidents. And, you know, this the internet is really causing the problem. Um, so I'm here to say that this is not fiction. <laughs> it's unfortunately fact. And if you're buying pharmaceuticals on the internet and the website is not endorsed, you're taking a risk. Yeah, that's for sure, right? I mean, we don't know that the product is uh, cer certainly not original, but we don't know that it's not poisonous or dangerous for your health, you know, anyway, right? So that's the that's one of the main issues. Um, what advice would you give to maybe uh, a young person who's thinking about a career you know, in this field, uh, maybe similar to yours, what sort of advice would you give that person? I mean, I, I would do it. Um, it's a great job. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. Uh, I go to work to, uh, every day, either virtually or for real, um, enjoying my job. Um, be willing to learn while you're doing it. This is not something for the most part that they teach in school. Although there are, they are starting to develop some good educational programs um, in the United States surrounding brand protection, uh, which is great. Uh, but be willing to learn on the job. I learned this job by doing it. But uh, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to, to get into this field, especially in the pharmaceutical industry, because it's really focused on helping patients and helping people. I've, I've found it to be rewarding. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and let me ask you this. Is there anyone, as you think about how you got to where you, you got to today, uh, is there anybody who's inspired you in your career that maybe gave you extra sort of motivation on thinking about your persistence to, to keep moving and keep working hard? I've had a lot of help from people uh, along the way, my family, my friends. Um, but there's some people in the industry that have been particularly helpful. Uh, Chuck Forsyth, who is uh, the head or the vice president of a group called the Pharmaceutical Cargo Security Coalition has been an exceptional mentor and is a great guy. Um, plenty of people. 
have inspired me along the way. I still maintain close contact with a group of people that I worked with at Pfizer a long time ago now. People like Bob Montero and Andre Flores and Carmen Roldan and Rich Widdop and Tom Smith. Um, we, it's funny, we were only together for about 18 months as a team, um, but we've built friendships and have grown to be, you know, like a family over the last 25. So, wow. you know, um, it's, it's, it's good to have friends. Yeah, it sounds like a good tight-knit community you've built, for sure. I would say that it is uh, not only that group of people that I mentioned, but also the, the pharmaceutical security world in general is a tight group. And we, we do work with each other. We do try to support each other because we have the same mission, right? We're all trying to protect patients. doesn't matter what product it is, really, what medicine it is, uh, because we don't want people to get hurt. Um, so we tend to, to share information when we can. Yeah, makes total sense. And Michael, I'm not sure if you know who our next guest is uh, for our podcast. It's Sam Williams, and she is the head of IP at Siemens. And uh, well, I guess, but whether you know her or not, as we get to learn more about people in our industry who do the kinds of things you do for, for you know, your company and other companies, what's one thing you'd like to ask her that we would want to know about her and have something that she could share with us? I've not met Sam yet. I'm happy to do so at some point. Um, I'm interested in, in what new concerns there are from a brand protection standpoint that are connected to the pandemic. I know that there are uh, in the pharmaceutical industry, there is a move towards, you know, monitoring COVID-19 medicines and those types of things. But just in general, the pandemic has had to have spawned other brand protection concerns. So i interested in Sam's take on that. Well, we'll ask her and uh, you'll stay tuned for her podcast and we'll hear her answer to your question. Very good. So uh, I thought what we do to sort of finish up our podcast today is do uh Four quick questions in 15 seconds, although I have a sense I might know the first one, but I'm going to ask you these four questions. Who's your favorite music, band, or singer? Yeah, you do. Billy Joel. You know. <laughs> What's your favorite book? You probably know this too. Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. <laughs> if you could this only easy. eat one, this is easy, right? <laughs> if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pizza. And what is your go-to resource to keep you up to date on all sorts of brand protection related issues? Was there a source you go to quickly for that? Uh, I, I would say for, for me, it's the Pharmaceutical Security Institute, that group that I had mentioned um, that uh, keeps an accurate tab on what's going on in, in the uh, brand protection world of pharmaceuticals. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure to get to know you. A pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Thank you very much. Well, it was a very interesting conversation today with Michael to learn about your journey and learn about the insights in the brand protection space. I have a few key takeaways from our conversation today with Michael, and I want to share those with you. Number one, Michael spoke about the need to provide statistical data to his leadership. In the pharmaceutical industry, quantifying the unauthorized distribution of medicine is very, very important. Having said that, he realizes in the industry, estimating much of this number is very difficult because much of it goes undetected and unenforced. And number two, according to Michael, the safest way for consumers to buy pharmaceuticals is to really avoid buying them on the internet or social media, 
Of course, unless the sellers are endorsed by the manufacturers or other public health authorities. Well, that's it for us today. If you've liked what you've heard, check out our next inspiring story from another hero of brand protection. You can follow us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. Make it a good day.